Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. I am pleased to invite you back to the Uncomfortable Truth. My guest today is Connie Deacon, a, a pal of mine for a long time and a very, very unique person. She was recently named the world's number one leadership influence coach by the architect of modern executive coaching, Marshall Goldsmith, with whom I wrote a book. He's another buddy of mine. And the number one executive communication coach by the Global Gurus Organization. She advises prominent CEOs and senior executives on how to influence transformative change to drive profitable growth. Her pragmatic data-backed advice helps leaders elevate their influence and presence for the greater good. She spent the first stage of her career as a five-time Emmy Award-winning broadcast journalist for NBC and ABC stations, who was inducted into the Radio and TV Broadcasters Hall of Fame. She founded the Influence Lab, where she developed a psychometric assessment tool to measure influence patterns, and it's called Influence 360 Degrees. A mesmerizing keynote speaker, which I can attest to firsthand, Connie has been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. She headlines major leadership conferences around the world, from Silicon Valley to Sydney, from New York to New Delhi, and from the Midwest to the Middle East. More about that a little later. She's also the author of two best-selling books, Talk Less, Say More, and Become the Real Deal. Connie, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you. Um, you missed just one thing in that opening. Right here. <laughs> Connie has a I know you can't see it at home, but I am a card-carrying Bentley Club member of Allen's community. So Bless thank you. you. Thank you. Thank much. you. Uh, can I go back to something? You you, you called can. me a unique person. <laughs> what did you mean by that? By what? Unique person? Yes. Well, I mean, look. I don't blow smoke. You know that. I mean, here you are. So you were a, a media personality. Yeah. You launched your own consulting firm. Right. You developed a psychometric tool. You wrote a couple of books. And you've been very active in an area about leadership and equality where few people thought it was possible in the Middle East. So I think that's unique. Well, thank you. I thought you uh, unique might have been a code word for she's weird. No, no. But if I put that through Jack, Jack GPT, it would have said... Uh, she's somewhat different and not ordinary for most people, but you know, I don't talk like that. So, oh, no, you <laughs> don't. hey, you know, I thought of you the other day. Well, I think of you always because you've taught me so much about the courage of your conviction and about being trained to identify distinctions. You know, you made just the most incredible impact on my career. But the other day, I was sitting and saw this commercial. This workday Super Bowl commercial. I don't know if you saw this. This but is, with, it, is that Kiss? Who is that? Yes. Uh -huh. So during the Super Bowl a month or so ago, there was a commercial for what's called Workday, and it was of rock stars poking fun of the business culture. Uh -huh. And so rock stars like Ozzy Osbourne and Billy Idol and Joan Jett and Kiss all saying, oh, Ted in finance, you're a rock star, poking fun at them. And I said to myself at that moment, well, clearly, these people have not met Alan Weiss. This man is a rock star in business. So thank you. I can attest to that. So, so thank I, you. I just, I just got my $7 million 30-second Super Bowl commercial. I like that. Thank there you go. Woohoo! You didn't even have to spend the $7 billion. No, so. 
Well, in that case, I'll start you off with an easy question. Uh, I've known you as an expert in leadership, and then you started talking about presence uh, uh, very articulately in a lot of different venues. What I'd like to know, Connie, from your perspective, having done this for a long time, what's the relationship among leadership, presence, and charisma? Leadership, presence, and charisma. Well, presence is what remains in your absence. And so most people, or many people, I should say, rely upon charisma as if that is their presence, but it's not. And so your presence, you have inner presence, which is how you experience yourself, outer presence, which is how other people experience you, and then verbal presence, which you know a lot about, which is how are people interpreting what you say. So in one of the books, I wrote on this on presence because I see presence as an a part of leadership influence, the bigger picture. And we are living in a time of transformative change. And so if you want to lead change in your organization or in your industry, today you must be influential. And many people think they're influential, but as you know, they, they're mistaken. <laughs> they have this belief that they're influential when all that's really happening is something that we identified in our research here at the Influence Lab that we call the influence matrix. People think they're influential. Most people are persuasive. And there's nothing wrong with being persuasive, but persuasion relies upon talking people into doing things and getting them on board. The problem with persuasion is that it focuses on one-time buy-in. And the trap is you're vulnerable to the next act of persuasion that comes along. So staying as a persuader, as a leader, throttles potential, and those people then will never be able to lead transformations. And as you know, we focused on two other areas too in, in our influence matrix research, which is manipulation, which, you know, if you manipulate, you're focused on one-sided gain for a short term. And everyone has a manipulator in, in their life. If you were a toddler, you were a manipulator. <laughs> but hopefully you have outgrown that behavior. And those people use charm. So what you would talk about there as having that, mm, uh, what word did you use for it, Alan? Uh, charisma. Charisma. Many of, yeah, so many of the people who come across as charismatic, if they're focused on themselves, they're actually manipulative. They're using charm or emotion appeals to get what they want. And those people often throw hissy fits or they intimidate or they break the rules to get what they want. What is really, really damaging today too are those people who are dominators because they're seeking one-sided gain for the long-term, these are the unethical people. They'll use fraud or force to get what they want. And these are often the extreme narcissists, you know, the Bernie Madoffs of the world, Ken Lay of Enron, Putin. And so that's what we do here. First, the first thing we had to do was identify what is leadership influence, because we weren't all talking about the same thing. And the presence is a part of your leadership influence. Uh, you said before that some people think they're uh, influential and they're not. Uh, a guy was described to me the other day as um, a legend in his own zip code. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds <laughs> up nicely. Uh, 
<laughs> so let me, let me uh, get to the Middle East here. Uh, okay. You've I, I followed your travels over there. You've, you've uh, been on social media about it and so forth. Uh, what led you out there? And um, you you seem to comment on the remarkable reception you had um, to talking about leadership with men and women, both in the room and so forth. Tell tell our audience a little bit about that. Well, I believe that the Middle East is the site of the most profound transformations on planet Earth right now, both in economies, societies, the government, people and places in the Middle East are reinventing themselves for the post-oil economies. I focus on those people who are doing it to be influential. So I strike a difference between certain countries and others, as you know. And so I have had the opportunity starting about five years ago to go into what started with Kuwait for, at the time, was a women's initiative because the CEO was very, very smart and built a sophisticated strategy in order to get women into the workplace. But here's how they did it. The key was the progress must be measured and executive bonuses must be tied to the performance. So because they were starting over from scratch, as opposed to doing what we had done in the U.S. for years and having little lunches with chicken salad, uh, you know, where we would uh, bring in a speaker, they were doing something very unique and pioneering. And so we're seeing remarkable progress. So I have been with them for the past four years, and it has grown into a huge DNI initiative, diversity and inclusion, in all ways. So they don't just talk a good game. Their actions prove that they are debiasing, and that starts at the top. And so that has been fascinating to start come in at essentially ground zero at this and watch it really transform lives and an industry. So I started there and then got involved in other works. So the um, government of Abu Dhabi, for example, that is making some major change there because they want to see transformations happening. And so as you go in there and get to see these game-changing initiatives, and then that led to other corporations. And so we pick and choose who we want to work with, but this in this transformative time of change, there's just remarkable change there. That's not to say I don't do that all around the, the globe. I mean, luckily I have clients in every continent except Antarctica. I don't have anyone there. <laughs> but I, I just love watching people influence transformative change and being a part of it. And to what extent has your broadcasting background helped or hindered you? Uh, as you got to this point? Well, I believe that it's where I started honing the skills. And the skill there was to be able to take an issue and then listen and probe, listen and probe, listen and probe, which means to identify the distinctions, which is something that you certainly further taught me using 
critical thinking skills to do this. And so broadcasting was sort of a foundation in that I had the opportunity to interview CEOs and U.S. presidents and all and, and start connecting the dots about why some people were influential and others weren't, and that it had nothing to do with IQ and had nothing, to, you know, and had everything to do with the skills they learned. And from you, I learned to focus on the why, not the how. And so that's when I began all of these research studies about what leadership influence is or was and how to develop it as a result, an end result. But it's really just been, I can't thank you enough for what you did to help me. Thank you. Well, that's, that's very generous. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to do that uh, to whatever extent I did. If you look at that broadcast background and those people that you interviewed that you're talking about, the powerful people, and you include contemporary society today, do you have any standout leaders you would point to who really represent that part of your quadrant that's the most beneficial and the most healthy or the healthiest, well, I should say? Well, let's look at, at someone. I, of course, we ain't going to politics. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but let's look at, at someone, for example, that everyone would know and has had a transformative change. And that would be, for example, Michael J. Fox. Look at what he has been able to do with his foundation with Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. They have completely changed the way it's funded and they have essentially cut out the middleman and instead are going for the cure themselves. They transformed that entire way that Philanthropy is done today. And I just, I find examples like that everywhere fascinating. And we're at a time where, of course, there are massive changes going on. I mean, you mentioned chat GPT. So there are all of these changes and today's leaders have to be able to use what's in front of them today, not what they thought made them influential yesterday. Uh, I'm curious about something. That's a great example of Michael Fox. And it leads me to ask you that I've often observed in my work in organizations that no one really believes what they read or what they hear. They only believe what they see. And so if you want to change others' behaviors, you have to have exemplars, avatars in whom they believe, and they will follow that. And Michael J. Fox seems to represent that. Do, do you think that's true? Do you agree with that? Or am I simplifying it? Oh no, you're not oversimplifying at all. I call we call that influence the influencer too, which means sometimes if you can't influence somebody because you don't have access to them, find out who they do have access to and you yourself have access to and to be able to build that relationship. But it all comes down to respect and trust. Always has, always will. And you can't shortcut your way into being influential with people. It's an earned designation. You earn it. And as we see today, you can lose it with the greater public. But one thing you always taught me is that, well, what influence really does for you is it gives you the benefit of the doubt when things go wrong. Mm, yeah. You know, the ability, because today it is so hard to change people's minds because of social media because people are in their bubble within the bubble. 
And they very rarely want to listen to voices that are different than theirs and have different viewpoints. So the ability to change people's minds today requires context and common ground. And unless you have that, you can have the greatest argument in the world, but no one is going to listen to you because it requires those things as the base. So you're alluding to this polarization that is all around us. And of course, social media is full of just confirmation bias, people talking yes. only to people who agree with them. Uh, now, it seems to me, I don't even want to go into politics, so I won't name any names here, but <laughs> it seems to me that um, we once had political leaders. I mean, Reagan did this and Kennedy did it. They're two different parties, but they brought people from the center. They brought people from the other party. And we had people like Sam Rayburn and Tip O'Neill who were able to deal with people, very opposing views and somehow create consensus. Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote the book on Lincoln called The Team of Rivals, as a matter of fact. So do you think that um, that we were that we had better leaders in politics a while ago who were able to do this? And today they haven't been able to break down this polarization. Or do we just tend to look at the past with a little more reverence than we do the present? I, I think, well, it's probably a little bit of both. But in the past, they had completely different analytics than they do today. And when the analytics change, then so must your approach to it, just as what happened when Obama came along, understanding Facebook, for example, gave him that edge that at first others thought, how are you going to to do this? You know, how are you going to make this change? I mean, the other side had all of the power brokers and the big money, but the analytics changed. And that's, again, one of those transformations. That happened to be a digital transformation that changed everything. But, you know, the old who moved my cheese? Well, sorry, <laughs> the, the, the cheese, silly as that sounds, the KPIs are moving as we speak, day by day. So when you talk about analytics, you're talking the difference between the politicians of old and a quote unquote stump speech to now utilizing the digital transformation. And so uh, how has remote work, hybrid work, remote work, affect presence, affected presence and affected leadership? As I talk to leaders, that's one of the three major things they bring up as giving them some kind of agita, some kind of pressure. Have you thought about that and what it really means in terms of that position? I I think that first I'm going to look at the positive side of it, which is accessibility. We now have, you are accessible to anyone and everyone. And done right, Zoom, whatever you're using there, can be the most intimate form of a visit with someone done right. The problem is most people don't know how to do it. You have to still, you know, with a camera, for example, you must treat it as a human being. You're talking to a human. When I was in broadcasting years ago, one thing I learned uh, was that the camera is human. And so I would look into a lens and assign it to be one person. And that one person for me happened to be my Aunt Pauline. So I would just tell her the news, which changes you from reading to a conversation and humanizes you. So if you humanize the lens, then you can have a presence with people. But if you don't, 
and you don't realize that every camera is a studio of sorts, then it can be a barrier between you and others and if you hide behind it. But today, of course, leaders are getting back out there in the world and as face-to-face as much as they can. But to those that they wouldn't be able to visit with as much, it's actually a great opportunity. And I advise leaders send videos, very quick videos, to you know the entire staff when you can and ask for people to send you one back. And it is fascinating what leaders are learning that they never did before when they were in their so-called ivory tower because they weren't accessible. And that's what people want today. They want to be heard. They want to be seen. And especially as we're talking new generations coming along who have very different requirements and how they see the world and how what their world of work will look like. It's interesting. You talk about intimacy and, and remote nature. When I do anything on Zoom with a group, I insist that they keep the camera on, not put up a placeholder photo. I want to see people. I want them to see me. and I want them to see each other. And I tell them it's rude to their colleagues not to do that. So I make I insist on that. And as you and I both have experienced in the speaking profession, when the pandemic first hit, speakers cut their fees, they they rent their garments, they cried out loud, oh my God, I'm ruined, my contracts are gone. When in, in effect, I can make a case that remote work is more valuable than in-person work in many instances, because you're saving, you know, six hundred thousand dollars in travel expenses and so forth and so on for your groups. And uh, it's not as much disruption at work and so on. So I really, it, I really think it's a mindset in terms of how you look at it. So it's interesting. You're right. It could be even more intimate. And to me, it is completely changed. I mean, a large part of my business is executive coaching with CEOs. And now they are open to the fact that we can get on a Zoom and coach, as it were, at any time. It used to be thought, oh, we need to wait for you to come in and we'll do all this. It has completely revolutionized how we can affect change with other people. Because, it, you know, it used to be in, in broadcasting, we we were the gatekeepers of sorts of video. You know, everybody didn't have that. They had to wait. You know, television was one thing and video was all streaming and all, you know, slice and dice. And it just didn't look very good. Look at us now. <laughs> it's amazing. As I've told you for a few years, we're all broadcasters now. And if we don't embrace that, we're going to be left in the dust. I do my interviews on Zoom. We use the audio track. But of course, I'm looking at Connie. She's looking at me. And when you just talked about that, she made fluttering actions with her fingers and made really bad faces. <laughs> I just want you to know that. <laughs> uh, you touched Thank on... you for sharing that, Alan. <laughs> Maybe we'll Can I turn my camera off now? Yeah. Maybe we're on the video with this one. Uh, I want to touch on your coaching, which you mentioned. Uh, no. Have you found uh, generational differences? Uh, you know, the baby boomers are mostly gone. I'm among the eldest boomers. Uh, and and other people, younger people, are taking their places. Uh, do you find generational differences in either uh, what they're interested in improving or how you have to approach them? Both. And what's really interesting to me right now, too, is the mix of the two. So I do a, a lot of work when the it's a CEO transition to you know the succession planning, and just seeing the different approaches that each have and how they're approaching their workforces. And even the baby boomers are now quite aware that what worked 
for the rank and file before doesn't work today because people want to work for a company they believe in mm. and they are looking at sustainability. They are looking at all different elements. So yeah, are, are human beings always different from generation to generation? Yes. Is it more profound now than ever? Absolutely. Just as parenting today is a completely different playing field than when we parented our kids. I mean, mine, we were the first generation where along came these cell phones and text messages and things where there were outside influences on your children coming into the home. But today, the leaders have grown up with this. And so they see the power in these connections. They know that tricks. <laughs> and they're not about to be tricked as much as the last generation was. <laughs> I think uh, I've always believed that God is perfect as God is, has made a few mistakes. One mistake uh, was kale. Um, <laughs> I know you hate that. I, kale, hate not, kale. It's not even I don't mind kale. kale. So we, weasels won't eat kale. Uh, the second mistake <laughs> was the platypus. I mean, the poor thing. Uh, yeah. The third mistake was the short lifespan of dogs, right? But the fourth no. mistake was that um, you should be able to have grandchildren without having children. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, uh, so <laughs> I, I have found- hey, did, did I tell you that Allie is expecting- You did not tell me that, no. So I've hit yes. the topic here. How about that? He's having a little girl. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes, that will be exciting. My son has two boys and Allie's having a little girl. So well, it, my life is so full. We, we, have, yours, we have three, you know, and our, our latest one is about, uh, I think, nine months old. Uh, and I found with our 14-year-old our twins that uh, you're quite right. I mean, you're talking a completely different perspective, a completely different mindset, framework of the world, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's one thing when you're dealing with family. It's another thing when you're dealing socially. But dealing in business, uh, what worked for you X amount of time ago doesn't necessarily work today. Correct. So I think coaching is even more important in helping people adjust to these things. And people are realizing now that coaching is not remedial. In in the old days, uh, it was, well, you're about to get fired yeah, unless yeah. you do X and Y. And so therefore, there were remedial coaches. As you and I know, that is not what we do. We do the opposite of that, it, which is that we take high performers and turn them into game changers. You know, or we help them transform into game changers themselves. We don't turn anybody into anything. But it is all about people exceeding potential and people want coaches because they now recognize that to do something on your own in a world that's all about connections is silly. Why, you know, you need an advisor today to fill you in on what you're missing. You need pragmatic thought partners to help you deliver these game-changing results. Well, if you look at the best business people and athletes and celebrities and, and so forth, they all have coaches. And uh, I think asking for a coach and welcoming a coach is a sign of high self-esteem, actually. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they have so many stakeholders today. And these yeah. stakeholders are on all directions. And there's no gatekeepers anymore. And so because of that, you need help, I believe, in identifying what your key stakeholders how they're going to make a decision, whether it's board members, investors, analysts, customers, government, employees, the media, whoever, you need help, I believe, in a thought partner, a smart person to help you identify 
values and perspectives and knowledge gaps and hidden resistance, all the kind of things that can either ignite or derail these game-changing initiatives that leaders are trying to enact today. Can I have two questions left for you? My first question is, uh, what one piece of advice would you give our audience on being a, a highly effective leader? The same bit of advice that you gave me, which is to have the courage of your conviction, to develop perspectives, and to, to not water it down, to know what you stand for and deliver that. And to also really use your critical thinking skills to identify distinctions. That's the advice I would give. That's great, uh, especially since the source is rather impressive. <laughs> <laughs> those of you at home uh, i'm waiting for connie to get her off the floor and get back in her chair with that <laughs> with uh, my bentley card here yes, you know there it is yes so uh here's my last question you got such a wealth in terms of knowledge and resources uh where should people go to learn more about you to access what you offer oh, i think they should all call you <laughs> Everybody, call Alan right now. No, no. I, I guess you know. I guess for my website, I don't know if people would know how to spell Deacon, but it's just ConnieDeacon.com. Well, why don't you spell it for them? Okay, D I E K E N. ConnieDeacon.com. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or the other place you would find me would be on LinkedIn. So come along and join me on there and see what we can all do together here to really influence transformative change in this world, positive change. I urge you to do that because Connie is way ahead of the curve, as you can tell from this interview. And uh, Connie, it's been a pleasure to talk to you again. I'm glad that we did this. Uh, and uh, I want to wish you all the best in your endeavors. And I hope we see each other again in person before too long. Very soon. Thank you, Alan. Take Thanks care. for having me. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.